So I want to begin by sharing with you, and I've shared this before, so for some of you this is not a new story, but I think it's especially pertinent just um, in light of the topic that we're looking at this morning. I want to share with you again the path that God took me on towards being the pastor of, of the Cornerstone Bible Church. So in 1991, right after I graduated college, uh, which was the University of Idaho, uh, I moved down here to California, and shortly after that, I began attending Community Bible Church, which is in Vallejo. And I, uh, it was there that I got plugged into the college and career ministry, and then eventually I was given opportunities to teach in that ministry. It was around that time that I started taking classes at a local Bible college that was just a, a group of pastors who came together that wanted to help uh, train uh, men and women uh, further up in the doctrines of the church. And so it was Grace School of Theology. I began attending there one night a week and taking uh, uh, numerous different theology courses just over time. Rosita and I married in 1994. Two years later, we had our first child. And so the year was 1996. And that was the year that uh, Community Bible started its first leadership training and development class. It was a two-year class that was focused on equipping men in the Word of God so that they will have a, a deeper walk with God. It was to encourage growth in godliness, to help men understand their role in the home and in the church, and to equip them to rightly interpret the scriptures and apply them personally and then also to instruct others. And those were all goals that I desired, and so I was very thankful to be asked to join into this class. I also became a part of a teaching rotation uh, for our, the adult Sunday school ministry that was there. And it was there that I began to understand the difference between teaching and then to, and, and, and to experience the distinction of preaching. It was as I, as I was teaching there that I began to realize, I think I'm doing more than teaching. I'm preaching. And it was not long after that that I became an intern in one of the home fellowship groups. And it was there that I learned from other men how to shepherd a small group within the church. A year or so, I think, after that, uh, that, that home fellowship group multiplied. And I went from interning the group to then leading a group for myself and having someone who I was interning. Um, and I led that group for several years. And so... During all these years at Community Bible Church, I was, I was working a job as a software engineer for a company that was in the Bay Area, uh, Burlingame, Redwood City, that area. Uh, so that meant on a daily basis I was doing a commute that was over an hour each way, and, and you know how it goes. Sometimes it was even double that, sometimes triple that. My family was also growing. From 1996 to 2004, Rosita had five of our six children. And when we started the church in 2006, my oldest was 10 and my youngest was one. Rosita was homeschooling all of our children. And she would continue to do that for the next 10 years. Now, I tell you all these details for this reason. See, it can be a temptation to think that the pastor and his wife are in some kind of a different category. Or that our, our circumstances were somehow, you know, different than yours are. Or that God would never work 
that way in your life. See, I want you to see that, that Rosita and I, we were no different than you. It was never my goal. It was never my ministry goal to be a pastor. I just wanted to serve the Lord. And I wanted to be a source of blessing to my church family. And as each ministry door opened for me, to me, by the, uh, just through the leading of uh, the elders and the others, other leaders in our church, as they opened ministry doors, I went through. I didn't know that God was preparing me to plant and to shepherd a church in 2006. And almost 17 years later, right, here we are. Here I am. Here you are. You are in the place ministry-wise that I was 20 years ago, some of you. 20 years ago. You're balancing all of life to, life's dimensions and demands, right? You, you're balancing marriage, family, work, ministry, education, and probably a th- few others to boot. And so life is full, right? But may it be full of Christ. And may it be full of serving Christ because to live is Christ. There are a thousand other things that you can be doing with your time and with your energy. But as much as you are able, and I would say even beyond what you are able Let your life be defined by service to Christ in your church, your home, your workplace, our community. And as you do so, God will keep using you, growing you, blessing you, and opening doors of effective and faithful ministry to you. So in this ministry picture of my life that I've... I've kind of painted for you, I want to point out one significant factor or one factor that played actually a very significant part in my life. See, I was part of a church that prioritized training men for ministry. They took seriously what I think our passage today makes very clear, that the local church is responsible to train men for future ministry. You know, there's, there's many wonderful things about you as a church that I am so thankful for. Right? I am, I'm certainly thankful that you have shown grace towards me uh, over all these years as well as towards the other elders for all the times that we have failed to lead well. I'm thankful that you hunger for God's word, that you value fellowship, that you show hospitality, that you serve sacrificially, that you give faithfully, and that you also understand the priority of the local church to train men for ministry. See, God expects the local church to prioritize training men. Now, not every man can go to seminary. Not every man can take classes at a Bible college, but through the ministry of the church... Paul says in Colossians 1.28 that we can present every man complete in Christ. And we can, as Christ commands in Matthew 28.19, teach every man to observe all that he commands. 
We can help each person to use their gifts for the common good. And as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, or as he tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, so that we can serve one another well. And then thankfully, Christ has laid out for us in his word what it is that we are to be doing. And so in the letter that Paul is writing to Timothy here, this is called the second letter to Timothy. Timothy is his trusted son in the faith. And he says this, if you direct your attention to chapter 2, verse 2. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, Paul wanted Timothy to make the training of men for future ministry a priority. And when Paul wrote his first epistle to Timothy, the first letter that he wrote to him, he'd just been released from prison uh, the first time. And he met up with Timothy, and he traveled together uh, with him to Ephesus, where Paul then left him to tend to the church, while Paul then went on to Macedonia. But here in his second letter, his second epistle to Timothy, Paul is again imprisoned in Rome. Only this time, he does not expect to be released. In fact, he expects to be executed soon, and he was. He says in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says to Timothy that he longs to be able to see him one last time. He says... At the end of the letter, he says, make every effort to come to me soon, he says. So he just wanted to see his beloved son in the faith, disciple, one last time. And it was uncertain if Timothy was able to indeed see him before Paul was put to death for standing firm in the faith and for his mission of being an apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul Here, when he's writing these words, he may be facing death, but he is in no way discouraged. His his conscience before God is clear. He's not ashamed of the testimony of Christ, even in his suffering. His heart is still aflame for Christ. It's aflame for the gospel. And he deeply loves Christ's church. Paul, therefore, he wanted to leave Timothy with vital wisdom and, and guidance for continuing Christ's mission, for caring for Christ's church. And so he seeks to encourage Timothy to pursue being bold, to be a faithful bondservant of Christ who's willing to work hard, even suffer for the sake of Christ and for the benefit of his church. Paul stresses that Timothy, he must continue to accurately handle the word, carefully obey the word, and boldly preach the word because it's only through the word that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Christ had personally appointed Paul to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And Paul had obeyed Christ's command. He had followed his example to train men, Timothy being one such result. But the time has come. And Paul has entrusted his soul to Christ, he says in verse 12. Of chapter 1, and so Paul reminds Timothy, he says, of the treasure which has been entrusted to him, which is the gospel, the gospel of Christ. Now, what is Timothy to do with that treasure? 
he's to take that, these things which he has heard from Paul, and he is to then entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He is to train up men for ministry. So in keeping with Christ's command to make disciples, we are to do the same. And this morning I want us to understand the local church's priority to train men. That's the title of this sermon this morning, the local church's priority to train men. And we need to see that Christ's charge to the local church is to train men for future ministry. Christ's charge to the local church is to train men for future ministry. Now, before we go on, let me just say things, this one thing. There, there is no question that women played a vital role in Jesus' ministry and in the spreading of the gospel. There is no question about how vital they were then, and there should therefore be no question about how vital they are now. Women are a vital part of the ministry of this church. But in the context of this passage, as well as the context of the New Testament, Paul's not calling Timothy to entrust the gospel to women in the same way that he is to men. God has given the task of leading and shepherding the church throughout all the generations to men. And this is not a statement about how vital women are to the church's ministry. It's, 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 that's not the statement. It's really a statement about how vital men are. Men are vital to the leading of his church. It's the role and the task that he has put upon men. And so going more beyond this into this topic is, is beyond the scope of this sermon. But I just wanted to say that up front just, just to set our expectations. I'm talking about training men. Now, what we have here in these verses is Paul telling Timothy that there is a plan to follow. There's a plan to follow. But he will need to be empowered by God's grace if he's to carry out that plan. And so will we. So the first application that Paul gives those who will train men for future ministry is to be strong in God's grace. We must first be strong in God's grace. Paul has been admonishing Timothy throughout chapter 1, but he's also made it clear that Timothy is not to think that he can perform these tasks by his own strength. For example, he tells, he tells him in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, as his, or of me his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel and he says this, according to the power of God. Paul, he continues on in the same way uh, in, in verse 1 here of chapter 2. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, it's only through the daily empowering that comes from Christ that Timothy is therefore able to kindle afresh the gift of God in him, verse 6. Not be timid, verse 7. Not be ashamed of the Lord's testimony, verse 8. So Paul started off this letter referring to Timothy as his beloved son in verse 2 of chapter 1. And so he repeats himself again here. He's, he shows, Paul is showing the affection that he has for Timothy. And he's speaking his heart to Timothy. He's, he's emphasizing the great importance of, of what he's about to say, but 
but he's also emphasizing that it's coming from one who loves him and cares about him. Son, you can't do what I'm about to tell you on your own. It's not going to be easy. You're going to face opposition. He actually goes into that in the verses like 3 to 7. You're going to have to be a soldier. You're going to have to work hard like a farmer. You're going to have to discipline yourself like an athlete if you're going to do these things. Right? So he goes into that, and you're going to need to be empowered. You're going to need to depend on the strength that Christ provides. You can't do this on your own, Timothy, in your own strength. No, this is the nature of ministry in general. Christ made this clear through the analogy analogy that he gave us of of the the branch and the vine. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is especially true in the training of men. It's one thing to study God's word, to study theology, to read books, listen to sermons on your own. That's one thing. It's another thing altogether to pass on that sound doctrine to others in such a way that those you are passing it on to will in turn accurately and passionately pass it on to the generation after them. And for that reason, Paul tells Timothy, he says, be strong. And we want to take note here of of a couple details about what Paul's saying in this statement, be strong. First, be strong is in the present. It's in the present tense. Meaning, Paul, he's speaking of a daily empowerment. Timothy, my son, you must continually be strong in the Lord to do what I'm calling you to do here. The other detail about this verb, as you can note by the word be, it's in the passive. It's in the passive strength that Timothy needs. It it doesn't come from within. Timothy, I want you to dig down deep and find strength to do what I'm about to tell you. No, that's entirely the opposite. We are weak, but it is when we are weak that he is strong. And that's what he's pointing Timothy to. He says, I want you to be made strong. I want you to be empowered by continually, continually depending upon God. He will supply you with all that you need. And Paul links this strength specifically with with Christ's grace. He says, be strong in the grace. And, And, you know, when we hear this word grace, we tend to think of just unmerited favor. By grace, you have been saved, right? Our salvation, it is not of ourselves. It is the gift, really, and that links back to the grace. It is a gracious gift of God given to us, not of ourselves, not of our own doing. But see, in this context, we are to understand it as referring to the means by which God empowers Timothy, both to desire as well as to do God's will. It's by God's grace. We see the same idea uh, in chapter 1, verse 14. When Paul tells Timothy there, he says, he says, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Chapter 1, verse 14. Well, how? How is he to guard this treasure? Is it, is it by his own ingenuity? Is it to be by his own strength? No, he says, guard it through the Holy Spirit 
who indwells us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Right? It's by the Holy Spirit who indwells you that you will do this guarding of this entrusted treasure. So for Timothy to be able to carry out this, this most important task of passing on the testimony of Christ in the gospel and the truths about Christ in the New Testament scriptures revealed to us in the word, right? Timothy will have to continually go to God to be made strong by the grace that is available to all, he says, who are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you are in Christ, which means you can go to him. You can go to him for the strength that you need to train men. And by his grace, God will supply all that you need. It won't feel like it at times. You'll still be exhausted. But God will work through you even in your weakness by his grace. See, if I were Timothy, I would be greatly encouraged to know that God is going to give me what I need to carry out his plan. He is going to supply what I lack. And you know what? We should all be encouraged by this, right? Because this is the same empowerment to do God's will that is available for all of us who are in Christ. God will empower you to do what he requires of you as you continually depend on him. And I hope that we will all come to increasingly experience just how true this is in our daily walk. That we can be empowered by God's grace. And this is also true for training men for future ministry. But how are we to actually do this? How is Timothy to actually train men for future ministry? Well, we don't have to figure it out for ourselves. We simply need to secondly follow God's plan. We need to follow God's plan. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these faithful men who will be able to teach others also. But apparently following this plan is going to have its challenges. Else it wouldn't, else Timothy wouldn't need to be empowered by God's grace to carry it out. And as I mentioned before, you can look at what he's going to, at the analogies that, that Paul uses in verses 3 to 7. That it's going to involve suffering. He starts right off. He says, suffer hardship with me. As you carry out this plan, guess what? You're probably going to suffer too, just like I did, Timothy. And so you're going to need to be empowered by God's grace. But for Timothy to continue the work that Paul began there in Ephesus, it's essential that he pass on sound doctrine to men of character who will continue to teach the true gospel. The same one that that Timothy learned from Paul, the same one that Paul is now imprisoned for proclaiming. So the first part of God's plan that we are to follow, it relates to what we are to pass on. We are to pass on sound doctrine. Following God's plan begins with passing on sound doctrine, which Paul identifies here as he says, it's the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So these things which Timothy heard from Paul They are the same sound words that you see him referring to back in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, retain the sound words which you heard from me. He's talking about the sound words of the gospel in its kind of in its totality. And Paul actually summarizes the gospel right before saying that in verses 9 and 10. He says, 
speaking of Christ, he says, who has saved us. He's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which he has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through this gospel, the gospel. So that which is being passed on and entrusted to faithful men, it comes, it comes not solely from Paul, but it comes also through, he says here, many witnesses in verse 2. This phrase, in the presence of, there's actually just one preposition where they extrapolate that out to say, in the presence of. But the word simply just means through. Through. So the many witnesses are, are simply other godly Christians who have also heard Paul's teaching about Christ and, and the preaching of the gospel. So we're talking about men like Luke and Mark and Silas and Barnabas. In other words, the sound doctrine that Timothy is to pass on is what has come from Paul, but it's also verified by other faithful men who can testify not only of its basis in Scripture, but also of Paul's divine authority as the one who's the preacher of it. So there's an immediate reason why Paul wants Timothy to pass on sound, the sound doctrine of the gospel. The immediate situation is Paul, as Timothy is in Ephesus, and Ephesus is full of heresy and heretical teachings. And so Timothy must protect the church from those heretical teachings. How? By training men in sound doctrine. That's how you do it. You teach them the truth, and then they can identify the lies. But in the broader picture, beyond just Ephesus here, in the broader picture, passing on sound doctrine, well, that's how the, that's how the church endures from one generation to the next. Jesus declared to the disciples in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. After the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he declared that the Father had given him the authority to carry out this promise. Right? He said in Matthew 20, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And as we've seen recently in Colossians in the, in the series on the supremacy of Christ, the one with all authority is head of the body, the church. And this verse, it reveals, this verse in, in Timothy here, it reveals how Christ will fulfill his pledge to build his church. He builds the church through the leaders of one generation passing sound doctrine on to the next generation. And when it comes, because you know what? We don't live very long. We've got about 80 years, and we run out of gas, and run out of life. And so for, for, of those 80 years, you've got maybe 50 in which you can effectively serve. And during those 50 years, man, half of that is just really coming to grips with all that Christ is talking about. Boy, that day you have about... 20 to 25 years. That's if you've been just, you know, really on point, got saved young. Got, you know, what if you got saved when you were in your 30s or 40s? Oh, it reduces even smaller. We haven't got much time before the next generation is on the doorstep. Right? So we, we can't 
set this aside as something, yeah, 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 that's a good thing to do. No, it has to be the priority. It has to be the priority of the church. The, the window of time for each generation, it's very small when you look at it from the broader picture of life. He builds the church through the leaders of one generation passing sound doctrine on to the next. And when it comes to training men, God's plan is that we pass on sound doctrine. So passing on sound doctrine, though, it's not something that we are, we're not to hope it will happen, kind of keying off what I was just saying. It's not something that we assume God will take care of. Well, he said he'll build his church, so I'll just do my thing. I'll just preach and teach, and God will provide. No, the one with all authority, the one who is head of the body, the church, he's made it clear that the leaders of his church, they have an essential role in this process. It's not a suggestion. They must be intentional about passing sound doctrine on to the next generation. Okay, but how? How are we to do this? Well, they are to secondly prioritize training men. We prioritize training men. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these two men. And the word entrust, it means it just means to set before. And the word, it's, it's not in the present tense, which would emphasize that it's something that we are to continually be doing this. Now, that's, that's, there's truth there, but that's not the emphasis. It's not in the present tense. It's actually in the aorist tense, indicating that Timothy needs to find the right men. He's to set the, down, the sound doctrine before them and entrust it to them. Right? So this is a very... It's a very intentional process. That's the idea. And this is what Paul did with Timothy. Look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He's saying, Timothy, instruct others with the goal of producing in them love, producing a good conscience, a genuine faith. And after going on a, you know, a slight tangent there, which... You know, and from verse 5, then from about 6 down to 18, he's kind of on a tangent. He returns again to what the goal of his instruction is to be, again in verse 18, right at the end of chapter 1. And he says, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. Fight the good fight. See, at the end of this letter, Paul then appeals to him. This chapter 6, verse 20, he says, oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Paul was intentional. His priority was to train Timothy by setting sound doctrine before him so that he could combat the heretical teachings about Christ. It was also to model for him by Paul's life how he was to think and do ministry. Think about ministry, how to do it, how to carry it out, how to care for people, shepherd them, how to grow in his knowledge of of the scriptures, but how to live them out too. His priority was to train Timothy in this way. And this is why he needs to be careful to protect it. He was very intentional with Timothy. Now, it's been entrusted to you. Guard it well. And I would say that Timothy knew this was Paul's priority because he refers back to the training of Timothy at the beginning of of 2 Timothy in verse 14 of chapter 1. He says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure that has been entrusted to you. Right? So, Paul had communicated to Timothy, I'm entrusting this treasure to you. 
And he's saying, remember that treasure I entrusted to you? You need to guard it. So Timothy knew. Paul knew what he was doing, and Timothy knew what Paul was doing. He was trusting things to him that were a treasure. Can you see that this was not something casual? It was not happenstance. Paul trusted Timothy and therefore intentionally entrusted to him all the teachings of Christ and the apostles. And he did this. How? He did it by teaching him privately from the scriptures. But he also did this by bringing Timothy with him to learn from Paul's own example as he, as he went about proclaiming Christ. He heard Paul reason from the scripture with the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, the promised Messiah. He saw how Paul accepted persecution and suffering for the gospel. He, he watched him plead with Christians to faithfully follow and obey Christ. And now that Paul's ministry was coming to a close, the time has come for Timothy to continue on now in the same way. He's to prioritize training men, just as Paul had prioritized training him. He's not only to carefully teach godly men about Christ from the scriptures, he's to show them what it looks like to follow Christ in the world. And this, place, this means it takes place not just in the, in the classroom setting as you, as you teach proper hermeneutics or systematic theology, but it takes place in all of life as, as you let them see how you make decisions, how you endure trials, how you tackle challenges, how you face affliction. And the goal that we are to prioritize is training men, training them in sound doctrine who will then safeguard it and then pass it on to other men of the next generation. This is God's plan for training men. Now, are we to do this to all men indiscriminately? So this is something then that is separate from what I'm doing right now, which is preaching to all of you. See, that if we were to then take a special course set aside from the preaching of the word and just indiscriminately teach all men, that could easily be a waste of time and effort, which we have very little of. Because our time is short and we are weak. Paul is clear that we are only to, thirdly, pursue faithful men. We are to pursue faithful men. That Paul is referring only to believers here, that's just assumed. He's talking about believers when he says faithful men. But Paul's emphasis is, is not on unbelieving so much about men who have faith. It's men who are faithful. In other words, it's a character trait of theirs. So the men that Timothy is to pursue are men whose character reflects faithfulness. They must be men who are trustworthy, reliable, responsible, and dependable. And they are this way uh, um, consistently. Timothy was not to put forth the effort that it would take to entrust the treasure of the doctrines of the faith or the time that it would take to train by example, to men whose faithfulness is not clearly evident. If a person is not faithful, then he will fail to do what Paul is emphasizing here to Timothy. He will fail to teach what he has learned to other men, and then the chain, so to speak, will be broken, and the goal will not be reached. And so the most important criteria for the men that you train is to look for those who are faithful. And it's from Jesus that we learn an important quality of faithfulness. It's, it's demonstrated in little things. Faithfulness is demonstrated in little things. So when you look at how Jesus trained 
the apostles. He began by giving them little things to do. He, he was looking for men who were faithful in small things. They were charged with getting a boat ready so that he could preach. Uh, he asked them to, to distribute food when he fed the 5,000, and then he asked them to gather up all the leftovers. Uh, the disciples were, were sent to a town to go get some food while he rested at the well and spoke with the woman there. He asked them to get a colt so that he could ride into Jerusalem. He instructed two of his disciples to prepare the upper room for the Last Supper. And so you see this consistently throughout the Gospels. Jesus giving them small tasks to do. Why? To see if they would be faithful. Why? Because he who is faithful in a very little thing will be faithful in much. You know, there was one disciple, however, who, who was not faithful in the little things. He was the one who oversaw the finances. Right? He was entrusted with the money box, and he pilfered from it. Judas was not faithful in the little things. We need to learn to be faithful in the small things. See, wherever you are serving in ministry, be faithful to the little things. Prove your reliability in the small things. Show up on time. Keep your commitments to serve, even when it's inconvenient. Once you have proven your faithfulness, then God will entrust true riches, he says to you. Now, once the disciples had proven themselves faithful in little things, Jesus began to give them larger assignments. We see this in Mark chapter 6. Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel of God, the kingdom of God. He sent them out to heal the sick. Those are much larger things than just picking up extra food from a crowd. He was preparing them, what? For his departure. And when he would return to the Father, they were going to go out for good, and they were going to go out on their own. So it started out small. And once they had proved them, themselves faithful in the little things, the keys of the kingdom were given to them. So be faithful in little things, saints. The advancement of the gospel depends on you being faithful in little things. It depends on faithful men. And these are the kinds of men that Jesus invested in. It's the kind of man that Timothy was. And it's the kind of man that you need to be if you are to be entrusted to equip the faithful men of the next generation. Following God's plan, it means pursuing faithful men. And so Paul says that we are to take the sound doctrine of the scriptures. We are to entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is where we see the purpose of God's plan of training men. It's not just the continuation of Christ's church, right? So that it keeps going on from one generation to the next. No, it's the building of Christ's church. Every church, every church is to see itself as part of a chain of faithful men linking one generation of the church to the the previous one, as well as to those that follow. So in this phrase, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, there are four generations in view. Five, if you include Christ, right? You've got the church begins with Christ, and then you have sound doctrine being passed on to Paul, From Paul, it's passed on to Timothy. And from Timothy, it's passed on to faithful men. And then from faithful men to other faithful men that they will reach. 
and teach and train. So this is why training man is to be the priority of the church. It's how Christ builds his church from one generation to the next generation. And now with the overall goal of God's plan in view, what is to be the immediate goal of our training, right? We've got a picture of the, we've got the big picture. What's the immediate goal of our training? And it's in these final words of verse 2 that we understand what we are to be aiming for in our training of men. The goal of our training is to, fourthly, produce Christ-exalting men. We want to produce Christ-exalting men. They exalt Christ in two primary ways from, from this verse it's brought out. They exalt Christ by their character, and they exalt Christ through their abilities. Through their character, by their character, and through their abilities. So first, we're, we're to look for men of character, and that's as indicated, as I said, by the word faithfulness. It's their faithfulness that draws our attention. And these are the men that we are to make our priority to disciple, to train up, and to equip for the work of ministry. And from amongst those faithful men who are being equipped, we are also to find those who will be able to teach others also. So of those men who demonstrate faithfulness, we are to seek to further develop Christ-like, Christ-exalting character. And this happens as men come under the authority of the word in every area of their lives. So you see the word bring, being brought to bear upon their priorities, upon their work ethic, upon their spending of money, their relationships, their home life, right? This is the training of, that has Colossians 1.28 in mind. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. It also has James 1.22 in mind. Pro prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. We're seeking to develop Christ-like character in them. This is doing what Jesus said to do. Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And then it is, a it is from amongst these men who are then growing in Christ-like character, that we are to look for those who will be able to pass on the truth to others of the next generation. These are the men who God may be raising up to be future pastors and elders. And we are to develop their abilities to be able to teach others also. And these are, these are men who are gifted by the Spirit to teach, possibly preach. And the word, they're to do this with the word so that they can pass on the truths of the word to the next generation of believers. And this can certainly take place in a seminary. A seminary can, can be a part of training men to teach and to preach. But not all men can go to seminary. But they can all be trained up by the local church. They must be taught to know God's word. They must be encouraged to live God's word. They must be trained to pass on God's word. And obviously, this is more than just a classroom. This is, the living, this is living the Christian life side by side with them. Paul trained Timothy for years. It allowed him to learn by his example, both in ministry as well as by his life. And this is the goal of our training. Producing men who exalt Christ by their Christ-like character and through their Christ-given abilities. So the priority of the local church, of our church. It is to train men for future ministry. And God has given us a plan that we are to follow as a church, 
It is our responsibility to pass on sound doctrine, to prioritize training men, to pursue faithful men, and to produce Christ-exalting men. And we cannot carry out this plan in our own strength. And so we must be empowered by God's grace to do this. This is how Christ builds his church from one generation and to the next so that he may be exalted among the nations. So may we be found faithful and may God make us increasingly fruitful in this. Now, I want to take just a couple minutes uh, because I want to identify one of the ways that God is bearing fruit from our efforts to train men. And it's by raising up another man who is ready now to launch and to lead a home fellowship group. So our home fellowship groups are a vital part of our ministry in this church. Uh, They're modeled after what we see taking place in the early church as revealed in the New Testament. The early, early church met in homes regularly. And it was there in these smaller groups where the body life of the church took place. We're talking about fellowship and edification, teaching, serving, shepherding, the ministry of spiritual gifts, practicing of the one another's of Scripture, right? That can take place in all kinds of places, but we especially focus on it within our home fellowship groups. So we are preparing to begin the new ministry year, as you, as Francis was mentioning. This will take place in a couple of weeks, and so we're talking about home fellowship groups, uh, generation to come children's ministry, ladies' fellowship, encouraging biblical womanhood. And since we'll be launching... A new home fellowship group this year, we thought it would be best to bring up these men who are leading the church. So I'd like them just to come and, and, and stand here in front. So if I could have uh, Pat and Francis, um, they could come forward. And myself, who I've also been leading a home fellowship group for several years. And then now also we have Dave West. So if you guys could come forward. Dave actually was leading a home fellowship group for a while. Uh, but then, as the Lord would have it, the and the, the needs kind of died out, and so we just reabsorbed, but we're ready to do it again. And, and he has been trained up, and he's ready to do this. And so I wanted you to see these three men and myself. We're, we're the ones who are leading the home fellowship groups. Now, I, I, I want to say this. <clears throat> Many of you have been attending a home fellowship group for several years, the same one, and that's been a good thing. I thought that this would be a good opportunity to encourage you to consider maybe I should try a different home fellowship group. Maybe I should mingle, you know, if we jumble things up a little bit, the, the knowledge that we've gained from being together over several years, well, now you'll get an opportunity to do that same uh, with some other people and under some different leaders in the church. And so it's, it's um, that you'll have some time to pray and ask God, Lord, should we move to a different fellowship group? And, and all that we are doing so far has been posted out uh, on the bulletin boards in the, in the hallway there. Uh, Dave, what is it that you're thinking that you're going to go, you're going through the book of uh, Colossians. And so there's some opportunities. There's Romans. I'm going through Romans. You're going through Colossians, Francis. Systematic theology and Pat, the return of Christ. And so those are different things that you can, that will be focusing on on these groups. But they're not Bible studies. They're fellowship groups. And so, so it's not just about those topics. It's about coming together and serving one another and encouraging one another, bringing people who don't know Christ to come to these things, as well as these topics that we've just mentioned that we're going through in these books, right? So on the 13th of September, that would have been our normal time to launch our ministries, but instead we're all coming together, as, Pat, as Francis mentioned, we're all coming together here. 
and we're going to hear from Pastors uh, King and Amiel, and they're going to encourage us. Uh, they've come all the way from Philippines to, to just encourage us and bless us with the word. So that's on the 13th, and then the week following is the 20th, and that's when you'll be, we'll, we'll be, you'll be heading off to one of these groups. And so between now and then, I'd like you to be praying about uh, which group should I be a part of. So let's, let's take a moment to pray, and the band can come up, and we'll sing one last song together. Heavenly Father, thank you for entrusting to us the treasure of your gospel, and may we be faithful to do as you have told us here in this process, to train up men, men who are faithful, who will be able to teach others also. <clears throat> and through us, we pray that we will be found faithful and that we will know your strength to carry this out, and we will see the fruit of these efforts being born as you continue to work in the lives of men and women in this church so that your church continues to grow and continues to be um, an avenue through which your gospel is clearly, clearly proclaimed and your kingdom is advanced. And we ask this all in your name and for your glory. Amen. A person to discern what God sees about their thoughts, their desires, and their behavior. Because God's ways are so much higher and, and better than what we think. We have a, a finite mind, a ceiling, a limitation to what we can see, but God's purview is beyond, beyond us. And also, if a counselor would ever stop learning, they're probably disqualified because they have arrived. They, they, may not, they, they become that proud Pharisee that, you know what, I think I have it all figured out. Um, I don't think I need to go any further. I don't have any more blind spots. I found them all. Noah, I, I got them. I got them all. But then there's new blind spots that are coming all the time because we live in a fallen world and there's still, still sin that remains. Um, and then letter D, counselor must be trained within a biblical church ministry. Just as members need to be trained in evangelism, so they must also be trained in counseling. But in what context should this training take place? The answer to that question is vital. Where you get your training is going to be vital. Um, because I believe that the training ground must be the local church. That's the example of Paul that he gave to Timothy. That's the example of uh, what Paul said to Titus in looking for qualified men, men that have been proven. Now, you may take classes outside on counseling, outside of the church. That's wonderful. You can go to colleges, seminaries, conferences to receive counseling. But the majority and the practice of the, the training that you receive should be taking place in the local church. Why? Why is that? Why is it that, oh, hey, uh, you know, Cat, uh, you just received your diploma of biblical counseling. I think a great place for you to, to try this all out is over there at that other church. Why is that not a good idea? They have different views. <laughs> have different views. Yeah, and what else? What other reasons why would I want you instead to, you know, Cat, maybe... Do it here. I need you to counsel uh, Daniel and Cynthia. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's an affirmation. Um, there's always, the counseling is always taking place, the, the commands are always within the local church. When you look at all the one another's, it's always given as a command to a local church. Love one another, encourage one another, edify one another, admonish one another. It's always in the local church. Admonish those over there. You won't find that. You, one another, admonish. 
Shepherd the flock among you. This, the, the focus is always, there's enough here. Don't worry about over there. There's enough here that you've been given. And so without the oversight of elders who are called to shepherd the flock, counseling may cause confusion, disunity, because of differences in philosophy of ministry, or at worst, it could harm the flock. Because elders are those who have been charged to shepherd the flock of God, and yet we are trained to equip you to, to do the work of ministry. And we're going to be held into account, according to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. So we want to make sure there's oversight, there's unity, there's no harm, there's no confusion. Because if counseling were to take place outside the church, as we already mentioned, we will have no idea what's going on. What is Wang doing, you know, when he's doing his counseling? I don't know what's going on over there. He started his own ministry? What is, what is, you know, like he started his own uh, GoFundMe? What? All, all sorts of mischief could take place without the accountability or oversight of of pastors. That's why, ah, I'm not going to talk about that. It is our conviction that counseling is an essential part of our ministry, which takes place both formally and informally. Now, counseling, where does it take place? It could take place in individual discipleship. It could take place in HFG meetings. It could take place um, uh, whenever there's conversations that are of people that are hurting and seeking counsel from others. Now, there, there are reasons why we want qualified men and women within our church. And what do I mean by qualified? For example, they may not be qualified because this person may be very sociable. They're very charismatic, meaning not in the uh, theological sense, but charismatic in that they're attractive to people. They're very popular. You know, the popular kid in high school, that's them. Everyone goes to them. When they enter the room, everyone goes to them. But they may be disqualified because, one, they may not be a member of our church, or, two, they may not be a spiritual person. We want to be able to entrust counselors to those that are in need who have been proven that are qualified men and women who are faithful and have been committed as members to this church and they are faithful, available, teachable, and reliable. I want, I want fat people. Faithful, available, teachable. And I want fatter people because I want faithful, available, teachable, reliable people. And I say I, I'm, I'm saying that the, the scriptures emphasize this. 2 Timothy 2, 2 emphasize, he says, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Reliable comes after you've been faithful for so long. And there are those who have received training either through classes in CBI, outside of TCBC, whatever the case, LTD, uh, ladies ministries, women's ministries, whatever the case, uh, the one in Walnut Creek, what's that called? Uh, I forget the one we attend. What is that called? North Creek. Yeah, North Creek. There's counseling classes there. Uh, whatever the case, there needs to be an affirmation that this person is a good counselor. How do we hire pastors? How do we, how do we d- decide on uh, pastors? Do we, do we look at their resume? And then, yeah, you're a pastor. You've got a good resume. You graduated from that seminary? Right on. What do we do? Theological questions. Theological questions? Sure. See them in action. Does he, is, it a per, is, he, is he a man of character? Is he a, a, a man who does all these things well, according to 1 Timothy 3? The same is true. If that's what we do to our leaders, why would we do anything different to our counselors? And here's the temptation. We outsource our counselors. We outsource them. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? I need to send you to a specialist. And my question to that pastor is, how come you're not, you're not counseling here? You are the shepherd of this church. 
Shepherd the flock of God, not out there, but among you. How come you're not doing that, brother? You need to do that. That's what we need to do as, as counselors. We need to counsel our, our body here. Um, so I have to stop because I'm already over, but I want you to see that counseling takes place. Every HFG leader counsels those in their group. Every discipler counsels to some degree the person that they're meeting with. Every ministry leader counsels those in their ministry. Every member has potential to counsel other members in the church. Our goal is to help one another to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Our goal is change. The next question is change into what? Just like Jay Adams says, we all have the desire to change people, but our desire as Christians is to change them more into Christ. That's the difference between worldly secular counseling and biblical counseling. We want to change people more and more towards Christ-likeness. That statement, you change, it shouldn't be our desire to change. It should be our desire to point them to Christ. Yeah. Spirit yeah, thank you. So, um, I appreciate you um, clarifying your last statement because there is a formalized training process. We're blessed to have you to be able to take us through this. Some churches are not blessed to do that. And so, but to go get trained and say, well, I'm going to open up my own outside agency, that's not biblical. Yeah. It's not biblical. Yes, you can help people out under the, the purposes you're using biblical principles, but it's right in the body where you build each other up. Yeah. Disciple pouring one another out through, through the scriptures and encouragement. So thanks for clarifying that. And, and also, um, I'll end here. It's going to be harder to do that, Rusty. Laws are coming down where this becomes more and more pretty soon illegal to counsel someone biblically. It will. There are, uh, it's, since 2012, there have been uh, deconversion therapy bans. That's a complex word, meaning if someone is saying, I'm born this way, you can't tell them, no, God has something else in mind for you. There are laws, and they're coming down. They're coming stronger and stronger. And California, as you know, leads is the tip of the spear on these types of issues. So, uh, be bold, friends. You know, fear God, not fear man. Trust in the power of the Spirit, in the Word of God. So let's pray. Father, we are weak people. That much we know. We must be convinced that we are weak, uh, fearful sheep. That's all we are. We need you, Father, to give us strength according to your Spirit according to the revelation of your word, that we would be bold and courageous, not because of anything intrinsic within us, but because of someone who is outside of us, the Christ who saved us. May he give us courage and boldness to stand fast in these days as we are facing uh, greater and greater hostility against a world that is becoming more anti-God, becoming more anti-Christ. So help us to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.